Good morning. It's a pleasure and a privilege to stand before you this morning and bring the word of God to you. What would you say if you were at a church gathering and a pastor pulled out a thick three-ring binder filled with notes and said, these pages are filled with new revelations from God. But this new revelation was used as a source to live in a way that's contrary to Scripture. What would you say? What would you think if you heard a church leader say that he had a dream where God revealed to him that he needed a private jet to proclaim the gospel around the world? And in order to obey God, he claims that you are to give your best offering to him as an act of faith to God. You don't want to go against God, do you? How would you respond if you were watching TV with a new Christian and a well-known pastor who is respected by many, who is cool, very likable, was being interviewed and he was asked if having a relationship with God was exclusive to Christianity. And he answered, no, I believe that when Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, the way I read that, Jesus said that he is the road marker. He is the map. So I think that God loves people so much that whether they accept or reject him, he's still gracious. But I believe God loves people. And that's what this whole gospel is based on. It's based on love. What would you say to that new Christian sitting next to you? Jesus Christ is being denied. In other words, he is saying that scripture is irrelevant for us today. But is that true? Well, the book of James, I mean Jude, excuse me, Jude, is a small book made up of 25 verses. And it's tucked in the Bible towards the end. And it can be overlooked many times and maybe even believe that it's not relevant for us today. However, after spending some time in it, we come to see that this small book is as relevant for us today as it was for the original audience. What we have in this book are instructions on how to detect counterfeit Christians, false teachers who infiltrate the church. And this morning, we will continue with our series in Jude, which we started a few months ago. And as a refresher, in Jude... Verses 1 through 7, the letter was written by Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. The purpose of this letter we find in verse 3, where Jude's original plan was to write a letter of encouragement dealing with their common salvation. But instead, Jude wrote this letter exhorting Christians to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, which Jude will return to um, throughout the letter, and expand on. Then in verse 4, Jude said that his plans changed due to a serious threat. The threat was that certain people, false teachers, had infiltrated the church and were distorting the grace of God, teaching that God's grace in Christ gives people the freedom to live however they want. Because if Christ died for our sins, then... We're good. We're okay. We can 
you know, trust that we do whatever we want and we're fine. We know that it's false teachers because the warning examples in Jude are of teachers and leaders. And also because of the warnings that we are given by Jesus and the apostles about this taking place in the church. Jesus and the apostles warned that false teachers would come. And Jude tells us that they're here. Be on the lookout. They've arrived. So last time that we were in Jude, we learned about three Old Testament examples of apostasy as a whole group received God's judgment due to their unbelief, due to their rebellion, and due to sexual immorality. And today, we focus on verses 8 through 16, which addresses or focuses on the lifestyle of these teachers. So if you're taking notes this morning, the main point of our passage is this. Beware of false teachers, because their end is destruction. And we'll see this in two points. Beware of false teachers... And we'll see three traits of these false teachers. And then a warning. The warning is that their end is destruction. So if you have your Bible, please open it to Jude if you haven't done so already. And if you're using one of the Black Pew Bibles that's in front of you, you can find it on page 1027. And we'll read beginning in verse 1 to gain some of that context, and we'll read through verse 16. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, That Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal life, eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand and are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. 
These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. We live in a day and age where we are surrounded by false teachings, some explicit and some not so much. Some come as a result of wrong conclusions of the gospel message, while others are a direct result of a rejection of the gospel. All you have to do is turn on the TV or go online, and you'll be sure to find these false teachings. Similarly, in Jude's day, it wasn't a matter of if false teachers existed, but whether or not Christians knew how to detect wolves in sheep's clothing. Jude knew that it was important for his audience, for these Christians, to know what to look for if they were to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, so that they would also be aware and not be deceived. And so we come to our first point, beware of false teachers. Beware of false teachers. One of the things that Jude tells us is that certain people have crept in unnoticed, and we see that in verse 4. We're not told how exactly. All we know is that they have snuck in and are where God's people meet. They're in the local church. We should acknowledge this then and not be surprised by it. Jesus and his apostles warned us, and they told us that this would happen, that this that they would come. For example, Jesus warned in Matthew seven, fifteen through twenty, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. And Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts twenty, I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to throw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. So Jude tells us that they've arrived. So now what? How are God's people to discern false teachers from true teachers? As we read all of Jude, you'll notice that we actually aren't told anything about the false teacher's doctrine. What we do find, though, are descriptions of their lifestyle, their conduct, their character. So if you go back to uh, verse 4, 
You read it with me. It says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. These are folks who distort God's grace and reject the Lord. But Jude has more to say about these false teachers. He has more to add to this description. Regarding the false teachers, Jude says that they are rebellious. They are rebellious. If you look at verse 8, we read, Yet in like manner these people also... Relying on their dreams, defile the flesh. They reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. Jude here describes their rebellious conduct in at least three ways. These false teachers are sexually immoral. They are defiant and they are blasphemers. First, sexually sexually immoral. One of the ways that false teachers show their rebellion is in the way that they misuse their body, namely in sexual immorality. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, for example, Paul says that for Christians, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in us, whom we have received from God. And we are not our own because we were bought at a price. So glorify God in your body. The problem is that with these folks, they claim to be followers of Christ, yet they defile their bodies. They defile the flesh, as the text says. This means that they were given to sexual immorality. And this goes hand in hand with what we already read here in Jude in chapter 4, where we are told that these false teachers pervert God's grace into sensuality, which is in Scripture normally refers to sexual immorality. We are not told how exactly, but the beginning of verse 8 shows uh, a connection to verses 5 and 7. If you see there... The beginning of the verse begins, yet in like manner. So we see that this has to do with what came before this in verses 5 through 7, where we see that the angels and Sodom and Gomorrah were judged for their rebellion, for their sexual impurities. So one of the first things that we notice about these false teachers' rebellion is that they are sexually immoral people. We also see the rebellious conduct in that these teachers are defiant. They are defiant. Jews says that these folks reject authority. We're not told which authority they reject. But when we read this in its context and we look back at verse 4, the purpose for the letter, we get a good idea that they are ultimately rejecting the authority of our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Their rejection is seen once again in their lifestyle as they live as sexually immoral people doing whatever they want. In some ways, this is the way false teachers live. They desire to be saved by Jesus, but they reject his authority over their lives. 
Jesus told us after his resurrection that all authority has been given to him on heaven and on earth, and that those who have been received that those who have received the gospel once and for all, as Jude says, those people, those Christians, will happily submit to Jesus' authority. But these false teachers don't. They reject his authority. They reject it in their sensuality or sexual immorality, and they reject it uh, through their defiance. The third way that their rebellion is described is in their evil speech. They blaspheme. Jude tells us that these people blaspheme or they slander the glorious ones. This reference to the glorious ones, it, it, it refers to angels. Now, I believe that Jude is saying that False teachers were speaking blasphemies against evil angels or fallen angels. And I believe that because as we see in the next verse, we find a contrast between the false teachers and the archangel Michael and the way that he spoke with the devil. The point here is that these people rebelled by stepping out of their position of authority, as once again we've already seen in verse 4, uh, 5, 6, where these men step out of their position of authority or they go out of their rank and they speak blasphemous things against angels, just like certain angels stepped out of their position of authority and were judged back in verse 6. Now, one side note. Did you notice how these false teachers justify their actions? Jude says in verse 8 that these people rely on their dreams. In other words, they reject the authority of what the Bible says about how they are to live, and instead they replace the authority of the Word of God with their dreams. They claim to have a word from the Lord, or they will say something like, the Lord told me in a dream that it's okay for me to blank because he loves me. If you hear someone who professes to be a Christian and tries to teach you something that contradicts scripture by appealing to their dreams, remember that Jude cautions us, he warns us in our passage. It's important for us to know that simply claiming to have a word or to have had a dream or revelation from God does not make it authoritative. It does not make it reliable. So if a person uh, claims such a thing and cannot support it by by, by Scripture, by the Word of God, rightly in its context, then that should raise red flags. That should lead you to think something is not matching up. This is not from God. So Jude warns us that these false teachers rebel against God by not accepting the Lord's authority over them. And instead, they live as if they were autonomous, doing whatever they want. As Christians, we are to watch out for those who encourage or who train others to embrace this rebellious conduct. We are to reject this conduct in our own lives and instead gladly submit to our merciful God who has saved us. So I want to ask you this morning, Christian, 
do you acknowledge that these false teachers exist? That these false teachings are among us? Because if you don't, then you will not be aware that these things are in our midst. And you will not know how to look for or what to detect if it comes by you. Jude tells us that it's happening. So we have to be on guard. We have to watch out for these false teachings because, as we're going to see, these teachings from these teachers lead to destruction. Moving to our next verse, in verse 9, we're told that these false teachers are arrogant. And we also come across a few things. First, we find a contrast being made with the false teacher's rebellion in verse 8. And it happens to be also a challenging text to understand due to its meaning and its source. Here we're told of an event that, according to Jude, actually happened. We read, But when the archangel Michael contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. What in the world is going on here? Well, this verse is one that you will not find a biblical cross-reference to because it's not found in the Bible. You could turn to Deuteronomy 34, and you don't have to do that now. But in Deuteronomy 34, 6, we're told of the time when Moses died, and the Lord buried him. And no one knows where he is till this day, because that's it. That's all we're told. The Lord buried him. So Jude here, as he tells us about this event where Michael was contending with the devil, disputing about the body of Moses, and that Michael did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment. This is actually from Jewish tradition, specifically from what's known as the Assumption of Moses, a non-inspired work where tradition states that this event took place. So even though these details of Michael's encounter with the devil are not recorded in the Bible, we can in fact accept it as being true because this verse or these details are actually recorded in the Bible. We don't exactly know why the dispute arose, but the why question is not what Jude intends us to focus on. The point is this, that even Michael, a high-ranking angel, when he was in confrontation with the devil, he did not overstep his boundary and rebuke the devil himself, no. Instead, he called on God and left it to him. So if the devil, a glorious angel who has fallen, was not rebuked by another glorious angel, but instead was handed over to the authority of God, what does that say of humans? The false teachers were arrogant in their conduct, specifically against the glorious ones or angels. And Jude wants us to know that Christians are not to be like these false teachers. Christians are to be instead like Michael, who understood his position of authority, and they are to submit to God. We are to 
submit to God. Now, a question that would be helpful to answer is, why is Jude quoting from an outside source that's not the Bible? Right? Maybe that's something that you're wondering. I was wondering, like, what's going on here? One thing that's helpful to recognize is that this happens in other portions of Scripture. We see it again uh, in verse 14 here in, in Jude, where Jude quotes from the book of Enoch. And we also find this, for example, with Paul. He does this in a few places, for example, in Acts 17, 28. Paul cites a non-Christian poet to make his argument. So we have to recognize that this isn't just unique to Jude. We find it in other portions of Scripture as well. We should also recognize that the usage of outside biblical sources were a part of the inspiration of the Spirit. Because as we see in the canon of Scripture... It has been recorded for us, and therefore, the Spirit must have inspired the writers to record it. If not, it wouldn't be in here. So we have to remember that God is a God of truth. And all of truth, regardless of where we find it, is God's truth. And one last thing. Just because something is cited from a non-biblical text, it doesn't mean that we need to accept the entirety of that text. We don't need to take it as true or inspired by God. But if it's in the Bible, we can and should accept it because it is written for our instruction. So in summary, Jude's point in including this is not to argue that this outside reference and in its entire work should be or shouldn't be a part of Scripture. Instead, Jude most likely viewed this reference as helpful in teaching others the truth that we are to be like Michael and not like the false teachers. So we've seen that false teachers uh, rebel in their arrogance And now we also see that the false teachers rebel in their irrationality, or they are irrational. We could ask the question, why would the false teachers conduct themselves in such a way? Why would they do this? If they claim to know Christ, why would they live contrary to the way that Christ calls them to live? Well, the Bible teaches that ever since the fall of man... Sin has affected all of our being, including our thinking. It has affected our ability to think rightly about God and about our neighbors. And Jude tells us here that the false teachers blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. In other words, they think like animals and act like it. In light of who God is and what he has revealed in his word, the things that the false teachers do and say show that their thinking has been affected by the fall. Another thing to consider in regards to why false teachers conduct themselves this way is that they have not understood the gospel rightly. They've misunderstood it. One can claim to believe Jesus and even say the right things about him, but still not be saved. 
That is because belief or faith is not based on what we do. Instead, it has to do with our understanding and our accepting of who Jesus is. A misunderstanding of the gospel will lead to a misapplication of the gospel. Therefore, we must guard the gospel and contend for it, like Jude calls us to, by sharing it with those whose conduct is contrary to what God requires. We must share the gospel and remember that faith comes by hearing and that that hearing comes through the word of Christ. This is why Jude calls and exhorts these Christians to contend for the gospel, to protect the gospel. Jude's point here is that we are not to be like the false teachers. We're not to be rebellious. We're not to be arrogant. We're not to be irrational thinkers. Instead, we ought to be like Christ in our conduct. And we do that by filling our mind with God's truth. We do this by having our minds transformed, renewed with the word of God which enables us not to conform to this world. It helps us to discern God's will by testing what is good and acceptable and perfect, as Paul says in Romans 12. Well, that was our first point. Beware of false teachers. Beware of false teachers. In our second point, Jude issues a warning to false teachers. The warning is of judgment. Their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. And you see it there in verse 11. If you look at the beginning of verse 11, it says there, Woe to them. A woe is a strong warning of judgment. It shows that something really bad is going to happen. It gives a warning that things are not going to end well. Jesus used this word plenty of times in the Bible, especially against religious teachers of his time who appeared to be godly, but in reality were rotten inside. This is something that doesn't sit well with many in our culture today. It's commonly believed that God and judgment don't go together, at least not the God of the New Testament. That was the God of the Old Testament, right? It's offensive to many. It doesn't make sense. How could a good and loving God do that to people? Right? But this is not what the Bible teaches. As a matter of fact, anyone who attempts to deceive and stumble any of God's children will be met with his judgment. This is what we find in the rest of our passage in 11 through 16. But some may ask, what kind of a God would judge and convict those who claim to believe in him? Sure, the conduct may be off, but whose isn't? Don't we all sin? Well, Jude goes on to answer this question for us. He helps us to see the hypocrisy and the danger of false teachers and why they deserve this judgment. The end of false teachers is destruction. And the first thing that we're told, or the first reason is, because false teachers, uh, because of the false teachers' works, because of their works, 
We see this in verse 11, the rest of verse 11. Woe to them for or because they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Once again, Jude loves these triplets. He fills this small 25 verse letter with all of these references that we could spend a lot of time in. But here, once again, we find these three Old Testament examples. Examples of evil and dangerous men. Now, we won't go into detail for the sake of time, but we'll note some of the important things about this passage. First, we find the example of Cain. We read of Cain in Genesis 4. Cain was the firstborn of Adam and Eve. And what happened with him is that the Lord rejected his offering. Cain and his brother Abel brought an offering to the Lord, one each, and the Lord rejected Cain's offering because it was displeasing to him, but accepted Abel's offering. Now this enraged Cain, and rather than turning from his sin, what did he do? He murdered his brother. Cain is an example of an evil man who chooses wickedness over doing what is right. Instead of repenting, he murders his brother. And the point is this. The false teachers follow in Cain's footsteps. They follow in his footsteps. That's what the verse is telling us. Next, we're told of Balaam. Balaam was a prophet, but his problem was that his heart was wicked. And he was revealed to be a man who was motivated by greed. You can read of him in Numbers 22, 23, 24. And there you'll, you'll find what happens in, in, in this example that Jude is pointing us to. But what we find there is that the Lord used him to bless his people, Israel. But Balaam was tempted by an offer made to him by the king of Moab. Balak. This king wanted Balaam to curse Israel and weaken them because they had moved into his territory. Balaam knew that he couldn't just curse Israel because it was God ultimately who curses and blesses. And after going back and forth, you know, the king said, do it. He said, I can't, but I'll try. And and he, he went back and forth. Balaam entertained a thought and he wanted to get that, that reward that he was being offered. Balaam knew that he couldn't just curse Israel. So after going back and forth and thinking about it, he found a way to have Israel cursed. He found a way to do that. And as a result, he would receive the reward. What he did was he had the men of Israel tempted into sexual sin which then led them to be cursed by God because of their disobedience. And the point of this is that, like Balaam, the false teachers were for hire. They were happy to lead others into sin in exchange for a reward. They were greedy men. So we find Cain, Balaam, and then we come to Korah. You can find the account of this example in Numbers 16. Korah was a priest who resented Moses and Aaron's authority over him. His story is a story of rebellion against his leaders. 
the authority that God had set over his people, he hated. And in rebellion against them, in his rebellion against them, the leaders, he was rebelling against God himself. And the result was that Korah was judged. And the point here is that false teachers were rebellious against leaders in the church. The authority that God has placed over his people. Godly leaders, on the other hand, have a right understanding of God's word and they humbly submit to Christ. The false teachers don't. So each one of these examples shows us that these men did wicked things. They did wicked works. The false teachers deserve to be judged because their character is like the men from these examples in the Old Testament. They were known for doing wicked things. The second reason the false teachers deserve the destruction is because they are deceptive. If you read verse 12 and 13 with me, it says, These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Here come, we come to various illustrations that expose the deception of these teachers. First, we're told that these men are dangerous. These men are compared to hidden reefs or hidden rocks that are hidden deep beneath water, uh, hidden from the sight of sailors as they try to navigate their ships to safe harbor. The false teachers are hypocrites, pretending to be godly, but in reality, they are quite the opposite. They participate in the life of the church. Here, Jude says that they would partake of the Lord's Supper, which in their time would take place during a full course meal. And they did so. They they partook of the elements of the Lord's Supper without fear. They didn't care about the warnings of judgment for doing such a thing that we find, for example, in 1 Corinthians 11. These men are dangerous as they do not immediately show their true colors. But when they do, they can cause damage to a church. So we're told that these men are dangerous. They also disappoint. church. They, they, they were church leaders or pastors, teachers... That, that were called to feed Christ's sheep. But these men, however, they only cared about feeding themselves. Can you imagine a sheep coming to a pastor for food? Saying, come here, I don't know how you call a sheep. That's how I call my dog, but. But calling the sheep, and the sheep comes, man. Only to be grabbed and then sheared and have its wool taken. So then, the, then the, 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 the shepherd goes and spends it on himself. Maybe buys a pair of Uggs or something. His job was to feed the sheep. False teachers or the, the, the calling of a, of a teacher, of a pastor is to feed the sheep. But these men, they only feed their, themselves. They don't feed the sheep. So they disappoint. They're dangerous. They disappoint. And the same with the clouds. You would imagine that on dry land, 
If you were to see clouds coming, you would get your hopes up, your expectations, because the rain that's supposed to be in those clouds is going to, you know, give life to your, to your plants, to your produce. And all of a sudden, the way the, 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 the clouds come, but they don't have water, they don't give water, and it leaves the farmers disappointed. These false teachers appeared to be good and a blessing to others, but they didn't deliver. The promise of joy and satisfaction and rebellion and immorality left people empty. It leaves people empty. So these men are dangerous. They disappoint. They're also unreliable. We see this in the four examples from nature that we find in in the rest of uh, verse 13. They're like clouds, trees, waves, and stars. And the point of this is that these men are unreliable. They don't deliver what they promise. These men, according to Jude, they deceive. And last, we find that false teachers are worthy of judgment because it's their destiny. We see this in verse 14 and in verse 15. If you read it with me, it says, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Back in verse 4, Jude tells us that the condemnation of such people was designated long ago. Here in verse 14, we find that this judgment goes as far back as the time of Enoch, the seventh from Adam. We're told that he prophesied that the Lord would come with his angels to execute justice on all of the ungodly people who have done ungodly works and who have said ungodly things. This reference here, once again, is taken from an outside biblical source, but it aligns with other portions of scripture that teach the same thing. The Lord will come back with his angels to judge the ungodly. Paul tells us about this in 1 Thessalonians 3 and 2 Thessalonians 1. We also read about this in Revelations 19. This is a truth. God will come and execute justice. He will give judgment to all of the ungodly. This judgment is the destiny of all false teachers and those who accept their teaching, anyone who follows in their footsteps. We're given a summary of why they would be judged. It's because of their ungodly deeds committed in an ungodly way. And we've already seen the kinds of deeds that these folks do. But we're also told of the harsh things that these ungodly people speak. And we see that in verse 16 where we're told of the kinds of things they say. These are grumblers, these are malcontents or complainers who follow their sinful desires and they're boastful. They boast not so much about themselves or they're arrogant, but in their arrogance they speak evil things about God himself. They speak evil things about God himself. If you read it um, 
in the prophecy of uh, in 14 and 15, we see that these things that are spoken are spoken against God. So this is why God is justified in giving such people this judgment. It is not because God is unjust or unkind. No, it's actually because he is just, because he is kind, because he is love, that he does these things. If you're visiting us today and you're not a Christian, we're happy that you're here. I prayed for you to be here. We're all happy that you're able to sit under the word of God and to hear what he has to say. And this may sound offensive to you, but this is true of all people. Because the Bible teaches us that we have all rebelled against God. We have all done works of, or deeds that are ungodly. We have all said things that are ungodly. We've all been rebellious, arrogant, or done irrational things like we've seen in the passage. The warning that we are given today, the main point of this passage is that the Lord will judge the ungodly. The Lord is coming with his angels and he is coming to judge and no notice two things he will judge all ungodly deeds and all ungodly words. God knows all things. Everything that has been spoken in private, everything that has been spoken in public, everything that has been done that you think you that no one knows, everything that everyone knows on social media, will be judged by God. That is what the text says. Everything, all ungodly people will be judged. That's a scary thought. That's a scary reality. And if we know ourselves, this is who we are. We are deserving of this judgment. But the judgment is specifically for the ungodly. That is, for those who are still in need of being saved. For those whose sins have not been forgiven. And the good news of the gospel is that even though we are all ungodly apart from Christ, even though we have all sinned against God, God is a merciful God. If you look at verse 1, we read that this God, He is a God who calls His people He loves his people and he keeps his people. And he expresses this in the mercy and the peace and love that he gives to rebellious sinners who repent and believe. Friend, if you're here this morning and you know yourself to be one of these, if you're honest with yourself, you will see yourself in one of these examples The Bible says that judgment is coming, but there is an offer of free and full salvation, forgiveness of sin, because God is merciful. Because God, in the sending of his son, hasn't given us what we deserve. He has given us 
the very life of his son, his life for ours, so that if we repent of our sins and put our trust in Jesus Christ, that as we depend on him fully, he will forgive us of everything we've ever done, of everything we've ever said. We get a clean slate, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus Christ died, because he paid for our sins. But if we don't, if we continue in our sins, If we continue to live in ungodliness, the Bible tells us that God will return and he will judge. He will judge because ultimately all of our ungodly deeds and all of our ungodly words are against him. Jesus, when he began his ministry, said that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That is his call for all today. Brothers and sisters, I know that sometimes doubt can creep in on us. And we can doubt if we're saved because our conduct discourages us. Or we may doubt if we'll even make it to the end. And I'm sure many of us here can relate to that because we still see the fight against sin in our lives. If this is Jude, if this is you, Jude has comforting news for you. Be encouraged because Jude tells us that all true Christians are called by God, are loved by God, and are kept by God for Jesus Christ. God is present in each of these actions that He has taken. He calls you to Himself. And he calls you to be loved by him. And the purpose of this calling is for, to keep you for his son. While you, want, while you want to look at the fruit of your life, that's not what saves you. What should give you cons- confidence is that you understand and accept him. That you put your faith in him. Not just yesterday or 10 years ago, but today. Are you trusting in Him today? Therefore, meditate on the gospel. Be reminded of God's grace and mercy. May God's mercy, may His peace and His love be multiplied to you. In conclusion, the Bible warns that... The ungodly will be judged, but those who repent and turn to Christ will be forgiven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we praise you for being such a merciful God, such a gracious Savior. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is good for us. We thank you that your word is truth. We thank you that it is by your word that we come to know you rightly and we can see our sinfulness and therefore turn to you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be an alert people. We pray that you would help us to be on guard at all times so that when or if we see these false teachers or teachings among us, Lord, that we would be moved to contend for the faith that has been delivered to us once and for all. We pray that we would do this 
mercifully as we ourselves have received mercy. And we pray that we would do this not to win an, uh, a fight, not to win an argument, but that we would do so so that those that walk in error would come to see it and turn from it and be saved because that is what you desire. We thank you for this and we praise you for your son Jesus through whom we come before you. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.